Hello, friends. This is Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. And today we're going to start something new on our Chosen People radio program. It's new and very exciting for me. And joining me is my good friend and colleague, our Brooklyn branch director and New York regional director, Bobby Walter. Welcome, Bobby. Yes, thank you, Mitch. And shalom, everyone, and welcome to the Chosen People. And Mitch, you're right. Today we are actually going to be starting something that's pretty exciting because we are going to be diving into the scriptures to see how the entire Bible connects together. We're going to see in particular how the gospel is revealed in the Old Testament and ultimately points to Jesus. Hmm. And then as we journey through the texts, we're going to zoom in on particular passages or, or characters and point out prophetic passages and how they apply to Israel today. Last but certainly not least, we'll explain what some of these passages mean in the original Hebrew. Well, that sounds great, Bobby. I'm looking forward to this series. And it's our hope, friends, that this program will not only enrich your walk with the Lord, but equip you to share the gospel with Jewish people wherever you are and with all people. I just want to reiterate the Chosen People Ministries mission statement because I think it's of great value at this moment. So Chosen People exists to pray for, evangelize, disciple, and serve the Jewish people and to help others do the same. So one of our roles in this wonderful world of God's work and kingdom work is to encourage and resource Christians of all stripes and types. And we know that you folks are coming from all sorts of different kinds of churches and theological streams, and we're so glad that we have that diversity. And I want you to know that we care about training you and equipping you, not only to be enriched in your own faith, but to be better able to share the gospel with both Jews and Gentiles. And so, Bobby, I think it's time to get started. Why don't you, why don't you take it away? Sure, sure. So I think it's important just to point out real quick what model we intend to follow here as we go through the scriptures together. We are going to be taking a look at scriptures that are in tune with what the wider traditional Jewish world is reading in synagogues each week. So every week, there is a particular portion of the first five books of Moses, or another name for it is the Torah, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in one year, the synagogue will read through the entire first five books in order. So they'll split it up each week. And each week, you have a different portion or the Hebrew that's used is the Parsha. And we are going to be in tune again with the Jewish community and what they're reading. So this week, we actually begin the book of Leviticus. Uh So the portion is Leviticus 1.1 through 5.26. What a great place to start. The Hebrew word is Vayikra. That's the name of Leviticus, which means to call out or called. If you'd like to actually follow along with us as we begin this journey... Uh, You can visit us online and request a copy of our 52-week devotional titled The Portion. And you'll be able to see what portions of Scripture we're studying each week. And this book makes a great weekly Bible study. You can read through it and pray through it. We'll send the portion to you free of charge when you go to 
chosenpeople.com slash offer. That's chosenpeople.com slash offer. A free copy of this brand new guide through the five books of Moses. And I think that you're going to love it. Now, back to Leviticus just for a moment. So a lot of believers will skip over Leviticus. Actually, maybe more will read Leviticus than Numbers sometimes. But, but a lot of times we skip over these difficult parts of the Old Testament, particularly the five books, well, four of them at least, beyond Genesis. We like reading Genesis until we get to the genealogies. Then it, then it gets heavy, you know. But Leviticus is really one of my favorite books of the Bible And even though it can seem a little dry and insensitive to our modern culture and uh, maybe a little unappealing, and it talks a lot about sacrifices, which, you know, we don't like the idea. I I mean, I I like my dog. Bobby likes his dog. (laughs) Sacrificing animals is not like the most pleasant thing to think about. And that's exactly the point. God initiated the sacrificial system because it would be bloody and it would be repulsive, just like our sin. Mm. And so it really really does a great job in presenting that image of sin as something that is ugly and bloody and something for which we need a deep forgiveness. But one of the things I love about the book of Leviticus, and if I could summarize the whole book, I think it could be actually summarized in one word. You know what that word is, Bobby? Um, Honestly, the word that comes to my mind is uh, holiness. Ah, I knew you'd get it. Okay, (laughs) that's it. I mean, if you didn't know the book of Leviticus, you wouldn't know anything about holiness. Right. And so this is a book that teaches us what holiness is all about. And we learn about God's holiness and we learn about the holiness that God calls us to as well. And so we're going to discuss a little bit about the offerings in just a moment. But first, in chapter one, we're going to dig in a little bit where it says, then the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. So I have another question for you, Bobby. Sure. Since you graduated our Charles Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies, sponsored Mm -hmm. by both Chosen People Ministries and Talbot Seminary, the graduate theological program of Biola University. And so you know all these answers because you've studied, right? Of course. Okay. (laughs) Of course you do. Okay. And so my question is this. What is the tent of meeting? Next question, please. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We need someone who's going to deal with the beautiful but obscure. So what is the tent of meeting, Bobby? Yeah. So the the Hebrew uh, for tent of meeting is the mishkan, mishkan. And it it comes from the word shachan, which implies heaviness or holiness or the presence of God. And the tent of meeting was that special tabernacle that God gave the instructions to Moses on how to build, how to construct. And what's interesting when we, you know, peek back into Exodus, God actually brought Moses to the top of the mountain and he gave Moses a glimpse of the heavenly tabernacle, the heavenly Mm. reality, the heavenly dwelling place of God. And in Hebrews 8, we actually see a reference to this as well. So God gave the instructions to Moses for the Israelites as they were living in their own tents, wandering in the wilderness after being set free from slavery in Egypt. God gave the instructions for his tabernacle so that his presence could touch down from heaven onto earth and dwell in the midst of his people. Yeah, actually part of that root for Mishkan Shachan is is to dwell, is to dwell also. And uh, I think it's interesting that God would dwell or make his presence known because he's God is everywhere all at the same time. But in, sometimes he would reveal himself in a 
magnificent and special way uh, at moments to certain individuals and in certain places. The tent of meeting was one of those places, and Moses was one of those people, and nobody else was really allowed in. Mm -hmm. And uh, when Moses came out, his face was glowing. It's almost like the the holiness of God was catching, and uh, everybody knew where he had been, and he couldn't hide it, not that he necessarily wanted to. And so the tent of meeting was a tent, right? and it was in the wilderness. And the interesting thing is every place where God dwelled in the Old Testament, whether it be on Mount Sinai, whether it be over the cleft of a rock as he hid Moses with his hand, or if it was the Mishkan, the tabernacle, or the temple, wherever God dwelt was always an impermanent dwelling. It was always a tent because his ultimate dwelling place aside from heaven is on earth. And if you skip all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, you will see that the day is coming when the entire earth, in a sense, would be God's tent. Right. And he will redeem it, lift the curse, and dwell, and we will sense his presence here on earth forever. And so the tent of meeting is a reminder that God can show up and can manifest his presence in glory and power whenever, wherever, and to whomever he wants. But his ultimate goal is to fill the earth with his presence. So, Mitch, one other really interesting and important thing about the tabernacle is that there were barriers to God's presence laid out in the tabernacle. Not just anybody could waltz in there and be in God's presence. There was this built-in picture for us that showed our need for redemption, our need to be cleansed. Uh, Because, you know, Leviticus is about holiness. It's about the holiness of God, but it shows our need for holiness and how we fall short. And the vehicle that God provided for us to teach us and show us like tangibly how we can be cleansed, how it is possible for us to enter into God's presence, it's through the shedding of innocent blood. And when we continue to read Leviticus, we see these sacrifices. And there are a number of them that are laid out in the first five, six chapters of Leviticus, and each one of them is relational. Each one of them has this sense to it that lets us know that God desires relationship with us, that God desires to make the path for us to be cleansed so that we can be in his presence. So we have burnt offerings, which were not eaten, but just completely burned up in offering to the Lord. We see that in Leviticus 1. In Leviticus 2, we see grain offerings, which were the first fruits of the harvest, similar to a tithe. They were not to be burnt on the altar, although they specifically could not include leaven and had to be seasoned with salt. Uh, And these grain offerings had a prominent role during the harvest holidays of first fruits, Pentecost, and tabernacles. Later on in Leviticus 3, we see peace offerings. And again, these were very relational offerings. These were offerings of food that would be given to the Lord, implying that the one who was making the offering was sharing a meal with God. Uh, Then in Leviticus 4 and 5, we get into some of the heavy stuff. We get into sin offerings and guilt offerings. And these were sacrifices that would be offered either for intentional sins or unintentional sins, or even sins that you just committed in ignorance. But all of them, again, were intended to repair the broken relationship with God. Thanks, Bobby. That was a great summary of the sacrifices. Now, each week we also read a Haftorah portion. That's not half a Torah. The Haftorah refers to something in the writings, the prophets. Technically, there are three parts to the Old Testament. Uh, 
uh, in Jewish thinking, Torah, Nevi'im, prophets, and then Ketubim. And the Ketubim are the writings that includes Psalms, wisdom literature. It includes uh, First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, etc., etc. And so those are the Haftorah portions. Now, if in synagogue we read these all the way through, uh, you wouldn't get out till dinner time. And so uh, Jewish people are very practical. And so we basically try and pick out portions in the prophets and the writings that are in sync with the Torah portion. And so in Isaiah 43, 21 through Isaiah 44, 23, we have the Haftorah portion for this Torah portion. So Isaiah is not the kind of person you would think of as having a sense of humor, you know? And he's not the person you're really looking to invite over for dinner. And, uh, you know, he might tell you to repent before you eat dessert. And in chapter 43 and 44, God, through Isaiah, rebukes the Jewish people for abandoning true worship and reminds them if they repent, then they will be forgiven. God also addresses the issue of idols and how Israelites were prone to worship idols And so sacrifices are not to be used for idolatry ever. They, again, were designed to sustain or renew our relationship with God. And only God can redeem his people and wipe away their transgressions. And uh, he prescribed the right kind of sacrifices. And he wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And that's one of the major themes of Leviticus. And it runs all the way through the rest of the Bible. And Isaiah really camps on this that we have to worship God in truth. And of course, uh, that will ultimately lead us to our New Testament portion as well this week. That's right, Mitch. And we're going to talk more about this when we come back. Right now, we're going to hear from Greg Stone, a Jewish man whose life had been turned upside down at a young age, but then he found Messiah and everything changed. Greg is a wonderful brother. He leads the Messianic Jewish outreach and work at Gateway Church, somewhere in between uh, Fort Worth and uh, Dallas. He's just a wonderful brother, and his life really was transformed by the Messiah. I grew up Jewish. My mom's a Jew. My dad's a Jew. Went to Shabbat services. We never missed the high holidays. I was bar mitzvahed uh, with Rabbi Arthur Hertzberg, vice president of World Jewish Council. And uh, I remember one time somebody held a, about a four or five inch knife to my chest because I was wearing a Star of David. We had a babysitter, and one day the babysitter had us over their house, over her house, instead of over our house. And I remember coming down her stairs and looking over to the left over the banister at the fireplace, and there was this picture that just caught my eye. And I said, wow, who who is that? I heard her answer. It was, that's the Son of God. And I went home that day, and I I said, Mom, guess, guess what I saw today? I saw a picture of the Son of God. And she said, we don't believe that. My parents divorced when I was five years old. I didn't realize how much it devastated me. It just created like a bunch of like fissures and brokenness down in my heart. And before long, as I got older, I started to fall into drugs and other kinds of bad behavior. Uh, I started to, to play with marijuana at first. By the time I was near the end of my junior high school, I was smoking marijuana every day. And by my freshman year, I started to to uh, play with cocaine. I can remember more than once going through paralysis as I went through withdrawal. 
I mean, my life had just bottomed out. Greg, why don't you join the Air Force? It'll make a man out of you. And there was this pilot who would come out to my post, I'd be guarding his plane, and he would bring me a cold drink and he would ask me questions about Judaism. I found his questions to be uh, honoring about my background. And one day he said to me, would you like to go to church with me? And I said, well, uh, yeah, yes, sir. But I was only being polite to him. I didn't really want to go. But one Sunday night, he came by my, my room in the barracks and he says, well, you ready to go? We got there a, little, a few minutes late. We're sitting way up in the balcony in the back. And this woman who's old enough to be my mother comes up to me and she hugs me. What is going on here? It was like my eyes opened somehow and I could see this woman loved me. Whatever it is these people have, I can see it's real. And I can see they're getting it from that Bible. And I will read that book and I will change my life to fit it and I won't explain it away. And I start reading the New Testament, starting with Matthew. When I read this, I thought, this Jesus is Jewish. He's not Christian, what's Christian? He's Jewish. This is a Jewish book about a Jewish man. I just knew that my life had started over. It felt like somebody took a bucket of light and dumped it on my head. I, I was such a changed person when the Lord came into my life that my, the executive commander over me in the Air Force actually sent me for a psychological evaluation because I was grinning all the time. But the psychiatrist came back with the evaluation. He said, you know what, there's nothing wrong with you. you, you we wish everybody were like you. My family, they, they were not happy about this. I, I actually think that they would have preferred that I just stayed a drug addict. I, I, I was always proud of my Jewish heritage. I loved it. But I also found that it didn't have any power to keep me from falling into, frankly, drugs and other kinds of illicit behavior. They would prefer that I stay a drug addict than believe in Jesus. Jesus had set me free. One of the happiest moments of my life was when my mom was 82 years old and she accepted the Lord. Four years later, uh, as my mom was on her deathbed in the hospital, she turned away, she looked straight in front of her, and I heard my mom say this, Jesus, would you take good care of my son? He's a good man. Welcome back, you're listening to The Chosen People. So Mitch, I've really enjoyed our study so far, going through, again, the portion or the parsha, being in tune with the wider Jewish world and what they're reading in the scriptures at the same time. Now, what's unique, though, about us in our ministry and in most Messianic congregations around the world, not only do we read the Torah from the first five books of Moses, and not only do we read the Haftarah from the prophets or writings, but we also add in a portion that that is compatible with those passages from the New Testament. And this week, the portion is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. And one of the most powerful passages in this Hebrews 10 section is in verse 10. It says, By this we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, once for all. The Hebrew word for offering emphasizes this point as well. It's korban, and it's derived from the word karov, which means near or to draw near. And it's through the sacrifices that we draw near to God. In James 4.8, James tells us to draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. And that's a great promise. 
And so when you feel far away from God, just take one step forward. Expect the Lord to meet you. So when we take those baby steps, uh, we'll see that God, in turn, will make his face shine upon us and draw close to us. Now, I think the whole issue of sacrifice is also picked up by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12. And a lot of us know Romans 12, 1 through 2, where we're to see ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, and that is our reasonable service of worship. And it's interesting, that word, a reasonable service of worship, is really the Greek word where we get the English word for liturgy. So our worship is to respond to sacrifices by being sacrifices, <laughs> and then to give ourselves wholly to God and to his purposes, and then God will renew and strengthen our minds. And so we lay our lives down as living sacrifices, as thanksgiving offerings for what the Lord has done for us through sending Jesus to the cross to die for us, to shed his blood for us as a sacrifice that would be completely consumed on the altar, like, like a guilt offering. And so because Jesus' sacrifice does so much for us, we're willing to give our lives in sacrificial service for the Lord. And so as Jesus said, of course, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so my prayer for all those who are listening today is to maybe gain a, a new appreciation for the sacrifice of Jesus as the quintessential ultimate fulfillment of the whole sacrificial system. We were taught that blood leads to forgiveness, but make no mistake about it, it was never the blood of bulls and goats, as the book of Hebrews tells us. It was the blood of the perfect, innocent, holy, sacrifice of our Lord and Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. And when we appreciate his sacrifice for us, then we can live our lives in sacrificial service for him. And I hope that will be your effort and your prayer this week for the Lord. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you missed any part of this message, or if you'd like to share it with a friend, you can find it online when you visit chosenpeople.com radio. And when you connect with us today, we'll send you a book, free book, entitled The Gospel in the Passover. You're going to love it. It was written for anybody who wants to know about the traditions of the Passover and how Jesus fulfills that great feast day. In fact, we even have recipes in the book, and we have a whole little Passover service so that you can make the foods and celebrate the Passover with your family. And let me tell you, your kids will never forget it. It's all visual, tactile. You feel things, and I guess eating the horseradish is going to be memorable for your kids, as it has been for me my entire life. And so to ask for this wonderful resource, you call 888 2 Yeshua. That number again, 888-293-7482, and request the book, The Gospel and the Passover. And of course, as always, you can reach us online at chosenpeople.com slash offer. And now, once again, here's Mitch with his good friend, Marty Getz, to wrap up today's program with the Aaronic Benediction. Adonai. 
Yair panavelecha vichuneka. Isa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. V'yasem lecha shalom. V'yasem lecha shalom. V'yasem lecha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Peace.